0: studies again today and uh, very thankful for them. Uh, I have uh, found our study in the book of Exodus uh, in, in greatly encouraging and uh, have been reminded through this study because sometimes, you know, it's easy to look at the Old Testament and look at it as a, as a book that's kind of there, uh, you know, and, and has a lot of materials, and a lot of information, but it's so practical to life. And the book of Exodus has been, even in looking at the plagues. Uh, we, we don't uh, try to make the, the story fit our life per se, but there's just so many practical lessons to be learned and gleaned and truths because God gave us, according to Romans chapter 15, all things, even the Old Testament scriptures for our learning, for our benefit. And so uh, I'm looking forward to uh, digging into Exodus chapter 16 as as we have come through uh, the, the Red Sea. And remember then after that, they had uh, the... Uh, The song of Moses, we saw that in chapter 15, and then following that, uh, they went to the waters of Marah, and they were bitter, and God provided and took care of the need, and we left them in Elam, and that's a good place to be left, because there was, you know, palm trees, and there was water, so uh, they, they were, and they stayed there for a little while, we're not told exactly how long, but they take their journey in chapter 16 from Elam, and we are going to learn about that uh, this, this evening. So let's, um, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in here. Lord, we are very grateful that uh, the Word of God has answers for life, that uh, the Old Testament has practical, uh, applicable truths for our lives today. And I pray that we would uh, grasp the truth of this scripture, that we would make application to our lives that your spirit would drive home the truth that we see in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, I'm praying that you would guide my lips, that I'd say what I ought, that you would as well uh, work in the lives of hearers, that we would be hearers of the word and and doers of the word, not just hearers only. And so we ask that you would uh, teach us, uh, encourage us, exhort us, whatever would be the need in our lives, may we be um, just brought closer and nearer to you because of your word and your truth here. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Years ago, the Union Pacific Railroad was under construction out west. And they were building, or they built an elaborate trestle bridge, which was, uh, went across uh, what we would call a canyon. And there was great concern, because this hasn't, hadn't been done a number of times And they were concerned as they were building this about whether it would hold up under the weight of the trains that would travel over it, I guess because of the height and because of the distance and everything else. So to test the bridge, uh, the builder, the man in charge of this whole program, loaded a train with enough extra uh, cars and equipment to double its normal payload. And then the train was driven to and taken out to the middle of the bridge and it was left for an entire day figured this, look, if, they, if it could handle twice the weight, if it could stay for a day, then it's going to stay and it's going to be secure. One of the workers for the railroad asked the builder as they were going through this process, look, are you trying to break this bridge? And the builder replied, no, I'm trying to prove the bridge won't break. In Exodus 16, God proves or tests Israel two different times. He didn't test them to destroy them, to tear them down, to have them break. He does it to build them up, to prove, if you would, the bridge won't break. And we're going to see what happens. Now, I think you already know what happens because many times it happened with the children of Israel. And yet there are lessons to be learned here. And so I entitled the passage, A Failed Test, A Coming Test, because actually chapter 16 is about that. There are two different tests that, that take place and I have outlines for you if you would like them to uh, kind of fill in as we go through. If Again, it's just for your benefit. You don't have to use them if you would rather not. But it's a failed test, a coming test and uh, Just follow along. I know the guys are handing those out, but if you can follow along as I begin in chapter 16, and they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in, in uh, Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, And even then shall you know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then shall ye see the glory of the Lord, for he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be, when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the fall, for the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron. Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in in the cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At evening ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to an up, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Story continues, I know, I understand, but we're going to look at this first portion of chapter 16 this evening and uh, just understand this, that God proves his own. And there are two tests that are found in this chapter. One, again, is a future event we learn about and then one that takes place right here, right at the beginning, that the children of Israel respond, well, kind of typically to, they complain. And I know you never do that, but there is a lesson to be learned for us. So let's begin where the passage does. I want you to see, first of all, the proving times of life. The proving times of life. The first four verses uh, give us that picture, at least share it with us. First, we find this. We're introduced to the chapter... Uh, by being told what actually happened if you look back to verse 27 of chapter 15. Because the children of Israel on their journeys have come now to Elam, are 12 wells of water, 3 score and 10 palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. And as I was thinking about this proving time, which, by the way, is mentioned in verse 4. Actually, it's not, but it is. Verse 4 is actually sharing with us what was to come. God allowed this problem to give him an opportunity to provide manna, which was going to prove the children of Israel. In fact, if you look at verse 4, he says that I, at the end of the verse, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So God is going to test the children of Israel in this passage through the manna, and we're going to see and learn about that next time. But in the first four verses, we see they're also tested again. And so let's learn a couple things about the proving times of life. First of all, aren't you thankful for this? We ought to start here. Life has positive experiences. Now, I'm thankful for that. God has, life has positive experiences. As we just said, this chapter is, is a, a time when the people at the beginning is where the people are enjoying provision and sustenance by God's hand through this place called Elam. The last verse of Exodus 15 tells us they came there they, after facing the situation with the bitter water at, at Mara, and Elam met the need they had for a time. Um, every time I come to this passage, though, I remember my, uh, a class I had. I don't, I don't know why, but I just remember a class that I had in college uh, was on the book of Exodus, and when the teacher came to this passage, um, he shared what a blessing Elam was, and he um, and uh, it provided water and wonderful shade for the children of Israel. I mean, look, it was 12 wells of water, verse 27 of 15, three score and 10 palm trees. Wonderful. Now, you know, I, I, um, I thought about that effect. Have you ever heard a preacher say something or a teacher or something to that effect? And then you thought, I just don't know if I really can swallow that one. I know you never do that here ever, ever. All right. But maybe you've done that before where you're just like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. So um, after class, when I had heard that, I, and it just for some reason didn't seem right, there was a couple things that came to mind. First of all, I wondered why he would get the idea that this was a wonderfully refreshing place. And you say, well, wait a second, wait a second. It, it, there were 12 wells of water, three score and 10 palm trees. True, true. But let's also say this, there was 1.5 million people. At least that's a very conservative estimate. Most even tell us it's probably more like 2.5 million people that Moses was leading to the the land of Israel. So taking that one and a half million people, I did a little bit of math and I came up with the the solution that there were 21,428 and a half people per palm tree. Get a lot of shade from that, wouldn't you? And uh, I just remember in class, the teacher was saying, yeah, they were able to enjoy the shade of the palm trees. And so when I did the math, I thought, well, Okay, so much for that. Boy, they just shot at your ideas of Elam being this wonderful oasis in the desert. But actually, it does reveal something about it. Look, Elam wasn't the promised land. It wasn't God's best for them, but here's what it was. It was a place that met the need. It was at least a positive experience. They had just been at Marah. They were going to be out in the wilderness now, and they were going to run out of food, the daily supply of food. They still had cattle, and they weren't going to starve to death. And God wouldn't allow that to happen anyway. And we know that. But the children of Israel were at a place, at least, where God had given them respite in life, a positive experience in life. And, and you know, although although I was critical of the teacher, rightfully so, by the way, it was interesting to me because when I read commentators, I also read them say, that at least one or two said the very same thing about how refreshing this was and how wonderful it was. Here it was. Truth is, it was a desert. They're in the wilderness. And it met the need. And I am, I'm thankful, quite honestly, that uh, in life today, God gives us a lot of times adequate times. You know? Times where our needs are met. Where, um, okay, life isn't all mountaintops and life isn't all valley, valleys. And I'm thankful for that. Because quite frankly, don't want to be in the valleys and don't enjoy them. Always enjoy the mountaintops. But quite frankly, a lot of life is lived in Elam god provides and god meets needs and i'm thankful for that so it was adequate it was sufficient it met the need and that's not bad that's a good thing especially if you just been at mara um and i'm again glad for the elams of life where god just meets needs and where i i don't have a crisis i don't have all these problems and issues the valleys of life and uh and although i lo- love the mountaintops it's just nice to know that there is a god in heaven that many times just just meets needs. It allows us to go through times of, if you would, ease and basic sustenance. But remember this. God has better things for us than a watering hole in the desert. And sometimes, here's the truth, we can get content with just having enough rather than being in a place of God's wonderful blessing like the land of Canaan. Now, not trying to spiritualize the text, but the fact of the matter is, and as we learn about proving times of life, which this passage is, life has positive experiences. But I got to give you the other side. Okay? Life has perilous experiences. And it does. We can't avoid those things. And we can't ignore those things. Life has perilous experiences. In order to reach the destination God had for the children of Israel, they had to travel through perilous times. They had to come to Mara, and have the water not be sufficient to see that God could work and God would work on their behalf. They had to be three days or, or they had to be in the wilderness going along on their journey and come to the place where they didn't have food, at least daily provision of food, so that they would turn to God and say, God, I need you. You see, the truth is we need the valleys because the valleys remind us how much we need God. Sometimes when we're on the plane and everything's going fine and God provides for us, we get complacent. And we think, okay, we're good. Let's stay here, Elam, forever. This is fine. God says, no, it's time to move on. There's something I have for you that's better. And in order to get there, you've got to go through the valley. And such is the case in this passage. God has and life has perilous experiences for us. Now, some people wonder why God puts us in those perilous situations and why these people did. Look, think about this. Why would God let them go so long they didn't have daily provision? Couldn't he have avoided that? No doubt about it. It says, uh, the whole congregation, or uh, at the end of verse uh, verse 1, he says it was the second month after the departing out of the land of Egypt. We don't know how long necessarily they had traveled, but they came to a place where they didn't have their, their food, their daily food, if you would. And they were concerned that they were going to be killed with hunger. I'm starving. Sounds like a teenager, doesn't it, all the time? Yeah, they have to say, I'm starving. And they just ate like an hour ago. Um, okay, we won't get off on that subject. Many of you know what, exactly what I'm talking about. But life does have per- perilous experiences where God, God pushes us, where God puts us in the valley, not to destroy us, but he, but he puts the train on the bridge to prove that we won't break. So that so that we might make the progress God wants us to make and move along for his glory. And so life has to have perilous experiences. In fact, if we were to ask God the question, look, didn't God know about the situation? Let me tell you something. God, didn't, God wasn't in heaven in Exodus chapter 16 saying, oh, look, they're mad at Moses and Aaron. I can't believe it. I didn't think about that. No. God God said, I'm going to prove whether they'll obey or not. God said, I knew this was coming all along, and this is going to be my chance to test Israel. By the way, people, you and I need to remember that, that God does put us in the valley to test us. If you would to see what we're made of, not really. I think more than anything, to just see if we'll obey God, though He slay me, yet will I, yet will I trust in Him? I, I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to, I'm going to sing His praises. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so God puts us through these things. And if we were to ask God, God, why are you putting him there? God would say, I'm trying to prove the bridge won't break. He never gives us a test to destroy. He only wants to build or help individuals, churches, nations. That's why he reminds us, let no man say when I'm tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. God never tempts people to sin. God does test people. He said, every man is tempted. When a man is tempted to sin, he's drawn away of his own lust and he's enticed himself, ultimately. And then lust leads to sin. So then why would God test? Because God's trying to do something in our lives. In fact, James 1 talks about the fact that God doesn't tempt. At the beginning of the chapter it says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Say, aren't they the same words? Actually, many of the words are the same. So what's the difference? When God does something, he has a purpose. In James 1, he tells us that his purpose is to develop patience in our life so that we might be complete and mature, lacking nothing. So God always has a purpose. He has a plan. Life, though, has to have those perilous times because that's the time when we're tested and we find out. Whether, whether we are where we need to be or not. And we won't get to the promised land unless we go through the testing. So then the third truth is God always has a purpose in each season. So why does God have the regular comfortable times of life, the elims that meet our needs and, and where things are going along pretty well and we're like, okay, thank you, Lord. This has been good. Because we need those for life. Because it would be weary if it was always a valley. You you know, by the way, you've been there. You've been in a valley probably long enough at different times where you've said, I just don't know if I can take any more of this. And thankfully, life isn't always I can't take any more of this. You know? Because God, even in those dry times, if you would, the valleys, has a purpose and a goal and a desire. And he just wants us to learn to obey him and Maybe, look, maybe the perilous time you're facing is just to give you opportunity to say, okay, God, I will obey you no matter what. In fact, I love this passage because James 1 says God's developing patience, and it gives us one aspect. But James 1 isn't the only place in the Bible where God says he has a reason in giving difficulties. I mean, we could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul had a thorn in the flesh and God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. So God may put us in that valley to just teach us how to trust in him and, and, and learn about the supply of his grace on a daily basis for to, for, to make help us make it through the valley and live through it and not say, I can't take it anymore because God is meeting my needs. I'm not sure exactly the reason, but I do know this, the Bible gives us lots of reasons. And in this passage, God said, this is why I'm doing it. I just want to see if Israel is going to obey me. I think, though, actually, that's the test to come. And if we were to say, what was the test right then, the test where they needed food, it was this, will you trust me? Okay, God's going to say, will you obey me? But I think the first test was, will you trust me? Will you, will you believe that I'll meet your needs? Will you look to me and say, God, we don't have food, but we know you're going to provide because you put us here. Will you trust me? And so that's where they're at. This was the first valley. The second valley is going to come shortly, and it's a test that will prove whether they'll obey the Lord. But right now, it was a test saying, will you trust me? And uh, sadly, um, verse 2 says, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel... All right, what's the next word? Murmur. Isn't that a great word? It just sounds like murmur. Keep your kids, wine, 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 murmuring. It's just the word just it sounds bad, and it is bad. And the passage tells us that very fact. So, I'd like to share with you the problems which led to failure. Why did they murmur? What led to it? And there are some things that we see actually in this pro- some of the problems which, which led to their failure of God in this situation when they began to murmur. So what happened and what, what did they do and what took place? Well, the first thing we, we learned, verse 2, tells us that they murmured and they murmured against who? Interesting thing. They murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Now, I know someone might have said, God, because later on it says that you were murmuring against God, and it was. But let's bring out the first problem which led to failure. And here's the reason why we're doing this. It's important for us to understand and maybe to see a a picture of and get a grasp of the fact that there are things that will lead us to failures in in the valley times of life, when God tests us, when God proves us. And it's important for us to recognize when we might be going the wrong direction. And this is one of the things that happens. First of all, we declare others to be the problem. When problems come in life, sometimes it's easy to blame others for our problems. Well, why did you bring us out here? Isn't it an amazing thing? Moses and Aaron didn't bring them out there. God did. But when you're in trouble and when the pressures come and when the problems come and when difficulties come in life, it's easy to get a focus on, well, look, they're my problem. If... If that guy wasn't driving slow, I wouldn't be so upset. <coughs> I know, I, I just that, that one always just sits right here. You know, if if my wife, if my husband, if, if my kids wouldn't do this, I wouldn't be in this situation. And, um, and we need to understand that uh, the moment we start to complain about and declare others to be the problem, we're in dangerous territory. Um, it's human nature to lay the blame for my struggles on someone else. What, What did Adam do when the Lord turned to him and said, what have you done? The woman you gave me, she's the problem. Yeah. Okay, Eve, what did you do? The serpent beguiled me. It's always someone else's fault. And that is a tendency of our human nature. My problems are because of so-and-so. My problems are because... And we fail to realize that our problems are of God. Not because he wants the bridge to break, but because he wants to prove the bridge is going to hold. So... When we start declaring others to be the problem, the reason why we're complaining about our situation in life, we're in trouble. And that is human nature. Look, troubles, whether it comes from the hand of men or from situations that come in our life, troubles, whatever they may be, stem ultimately from the hand of God. That does not mean that that God was telling those people on on 9-11, You take those planes and fly them into the buildings. It doesn't mean that God was condoning the evil that that was done in Nebuchadnezzar's day when he said, anyone that won't bow to this idol is going to die by the fiery furnace. It doesn't mean that God is condoning the evil that takes place. But it does mean this, that if that is the valley God puts me in, then God had a hand in it. And he allowed it for a purpose and he knew that I could handle it with his grace and with his strength and with his help. And when I start to blame the problem on others and and people and situations and and I stop realizing that there's a God in heaven that ultimately has given this to me, then I'm in trouble. And the truth is I won't respond properly. So complaints we make about men really ultimately are complaints we make about God. And I'll tell you something, this is, this is an area that is just, it's so easy to get caught up in this. All right, all right, let, let's give an example. Right now the Congress is pushing hard to pass a number of bills that are so opposed to Bible truth and righteousness that it's, it's, uh, it's not laughable, it's just, it's pathetic. It's, it's sad. Um, they're trying to get enough votes to pass a bill right now called the defense of marriage, which doesn't defend marriage. It defends perversion and and filth. And they're just a few votes away. It will force states to accept any state's legislation regarding marriage. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, in Tennessee, we might forbid the union of two men, like God forbids, by the way. And it can't happen because it's not marriage. It never will be marriage because God said his, his design is for one man and for one woman for life. But... If California law allows two men to to get married, and it does, our state will be forced to accept their law. That's this new law that is the defense of marriage. That's what they're trying to pass. They have something like 48 votes. They need 51. Trying to get rid of the filibuster filibuster so they can can pass legislation and get a lot of things through without any kind of argument, without any kind of debate or anything to hinder and stop the vote to go through another bill right now is about abortion, a law designed to make abortion legal. All, By the way, in many cases, all the way through pregnancy up until birth. And it's very close to being accepted. Now you say, why bring these things up? Because you know what we start to do? We start to look and say, look at the wicked people in Washington. And uh, and quite frankly, I could say that. Look at the wicked people in Washington. Um we might have to live with these vile, wicked laws. I'm not happy about that. I don't want to. But God is still on the throne. And God may allow this evil to prove us. Will you obey me or not? Will you do what's right? By the way, in in both of those laws, there there are not provisions for those who have religious opposition to this. Churches in hiring would have to allow those homosexuals who are married and accept that. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues that are going on with these things. So are we going to complain about the evil people and blame them, or will we look to God to help face the evil day? Now, we should do what we can to influence and, and encourage our senators and representatives that we put into office to vote the right way. We can pray about and we can be involved in the upcoming election and seek to put the right kind of people in office. And you don't vote for someone just because you don't like them or because you don't like the, the way they are or their personality. You vote for them based upon where they're going to take the, the direction they're going to take this country, whether in accordance with the word of God and opposition to. And that makes it clear who you should vote for. And sadly, there's Christians that don't understand that simple perspective. But that's another message that we will preach on before the election. But uh, before that time, we need to come to the realization and we need to make sure we don't just murmur about the wicked people in Washington and understand that God may just be saying, okay, Christians, here's the truth. You haven't been the salt and light like you need to be, so will you allow this valley to push you to do what's right and live right in the midst of a godless society? And that's where we may be. So we need to be very careful that we don't declare others to be the problem and, and not see that there's a gun in heaven that's even at work in evil things helping us and trying to see whether the bridge will hold. Second thing, second thing to a problem which led to failure, we got to be careful of, is discontentment with our present life. Look at verse three. Children of Israel said unto them, "Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt! We sat by the flesh. Ah, oh, we did eat bread to the full. Everything was wonderful. Ha. We loved it in Egypt. We, you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We're hungry. Like, I'm hungry. I'm starving." Um, the first part of verse three is amazing. One brother said this. They so undervalued God's deliverance and God's work on their behalf that they wished they had died in Egypt by the hand of the Lord. Do you know what they mean? What it means by that? They wished they had died by the plagues. You say crazy. Isn't it amazing how we can look at our situation in life, say things are so bad, you know, and 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 I can be discontented, so discontented with my present life and what I have right now and how bad things really are um, that I can get myself in trouble and start saying things that are utterly ridiculous. Now, we can throw stones at Israel and blame them for not being content with their situation, but look, we can do the same thing. All right, so have you complained about your vehicle problems this past week? Your health problems, your financial difficulties. Have you found yourself wishing that this week didn't happen? I hope I'll wake up and find out that this did, this day didn't take place. Come on, you've been there. Did a problem get under your skin? Did a place you were exasperated with the, the fact that you had to deal with this inconvenience? Um, if so, then let's stop throwing stones at Israel. And, and let's examine ourselves. We can get so discontented with our present life and what we have right now that we start to, if you would, complain and murmur and say, it would have been better if I had died in Egypt than to be here and go through this. I, by the way, didn't Job kind of get there at a certain point? I wish I had never been born. And, and quite frankly, even the most spiritual Christian can get there. In their life, so discontented with their present, their present life. Let me. Wow, well, I'm not getting very far in the outline, but that's okay. These are important things. Third thing is distorted view of the past. We sat by the flesh pots in Egypt. Man, life was good. Really? Really? I mean, look, for a while there, and some probably, some would have certainly been alive at that time, they were throwing baby boys in the river. Yeah, great times. Egypt's wonderful. They were beaten if they didn't do the full tale of of bricks. I mean, that was just, that was just a, well, a few weeks ago. And isn't it amazing how we can have a distorted view of the past? All right, you got to think about this. Your grandparents ever talk, you Ever had grandparents talk about the good old days? Okay, what was so good about them? I, look, look th- think about it. Older folks look fondly many times at the days gone by. Not me, but older folks do. And uh, they'll tell you, and, 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 but the, here's the truth. They weren't all that wonderful. I, I got to tell you, I'd much rather have indoor plumbing than go out in the winter to an outhouse huh really it was better seriously um you know by the way i wasn't around that time either so don't start don't start that okay but i'm just giving you examples all right the car we enjoy today gets better gas mileage than we ever dreamed of getting and it's far more comfortable than riding a horse and or a wagon pulled by horses My wife would rather have a dishwasher than have to clean dishes by hand, and so would I. And yet we had to do that growing up. So what was so good about it? Seriously, we've made so many advances. You can call someone anytime, pretty much anywhere. You can, we can talk to missionaries that that they used to have sending letters and we wouldn't find out about a crisis until like a week after it actually happened. But now, they can, they can send us an email, and we know, like a half hour after it happened, what's going on and how to pray for them. We like it better in the old days? Seriously, you got to be kidding me. But here's the truth. When problems come, it's easy to start glamorizing what's ha- what the, the past and how wonderful it was in the past and how great it was to be in Elam. But, but remember this. God has Canaan over here. In order to get there, you've got to go through this. So stop looking back and saying, oh, I wish I had it like I did in Egypt, which was misery. They signed by reason of their bondage. They forgot that. And and again, before we attack Israel, isn't it easy to get the start of you? Oh man, it was so much better then. Man, since I. Since this happened in my life, oh man! And the, the truth is, um, m- maybe things were somewhat better, but but uh, but look, the grass is not always greener on the other side. And you've seen the you know you've seen the cow stretching to try to get it, but the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And that's what happened with these people. They longed for former misery. Because of today's problems, The fourth thing, and let me, we'll end here, is doubt regarding God's promise of provision. Nothing's going to change. Life is miserable. We're going to die out here from hunger in the wilderness. Woe is me. Gloom, despair. Okay, I'm not going to remind you of that song. <coughs> and I just reminded you of that song, didn't I? <coughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Excessive misery, ah, you know, life is, life is never going to change. It's always going to be bad. And, and here's the truth. Sometimes when you're at the bottom of the barrel looking up, it, it seems like it. Get it. Been there. But do you think that the God who had just done ten miracles was going to let these people die? In the wilderness, when he had already made a promise that the, that Canaan is yours, but but we forget that. Come on, it's true. We forget that, and we start to doubt whether God's going to provide. Um, and, and my friends, um, this this is so true to life. What Israel was going through, and these just these first four verses, and what we've seen is is where is where our battle is and god wants us to be people who who look to him who trust him who obey him who say okay lord i don't know why i don't understand this this whole thing but but you're taking me to canaan and i know on the way this is part of it so i'm going to trust you I'm not going to look at my past and say, "Oh, I wish I had it back because it was so much better." Then I'm not going to look at Elam and say, ah, "I'm content to stay here." I'm not going to doubt your provision. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be discontented with my present life. I'm going to see that there's a God in heaven at work in my situation. Others aren't my problem, Lord. Whatever you, whatever valley you have me in, I'm just going to trust you. And. Um, and that is, that is the vitally important lesson, uh, um, a lesson Israel learned a couple thousand years ago, uh, more than a couple thousand, 3,000 years ago, that you and I still face today and still need to make the right choices. And um, may we see the problems, these problems, when they arise in our life, Deal with them right away because when we go this direction, we're going away from God rather than to God. And that's when we get in trouble. It's when Israel got in trouble. And may we be people who trust and, um, and obey and see God do wonderful things and provide. Lord, I thank you so very much for your word and the chance you gave us to look at just the first portion of this chapter and what a powerful chapter it is and how applicable to life today. And, um, and I ask you to help us to see when we are acting like Israel, when we're longing for previous days, when we're, com- we're co- blaming others for the cause of our problems, when we're not seeing that there is a God at work and a God who has put us in the valley because he has better things for us. And may we just trust you and not complain about our circumstances or situation. May we, Lord God, be people who look to you and 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 let you bring us through to victory on the other side. And we'll thank you for how you'll help us in that very important matter. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for your attentiveness to the word in, in Exodus 16. But as we said this morning, uh, and as we have in our, our, um, our calendar for the month, uh, tonight is our opportunity for us to be uh, contemplating what the Lord's done for us and doing a, fulfilling what we call as an ordinance of the church. It doesn't bring salvation. I think everyone would understand that here, but I want to make sure it's clear. The Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion, but uh, I prefer the, the, word, the words the Lord's Supper, is, is what Jesus Christ commanded us to do, to remember his death until he comes. And it's a reminder he is coming again. And he is. And, uh, you know, as we look at government, as we look at decisions being made, we would say even more so every day, even so, come Lord Jesus. And uh, he is coming. Lord, Lord willing, it may be maybe today, maybe uh, this next week. Don't know when it is, but tonight we have opportunity to just be reminded about what he did so we can be ready for the day when he comes and the day when he'll take us to be with him. And uh, what a wonderful assurance. I know I'm going to be with him. I know he's coming to take me back to be with him someday. And if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not have to fear evil because he'll be with me every step of the way until the end of life. And so that's all based upon and it's all it all rests upon what he did at the cross. So that's why he wanted us to remember it. doesn't tell us how often to do it, we only do it every every other month or so, but he does want us to remember. And so I'm going to ask the, the men that are going to help me with that this, this evening to come if they would. And I'm going to let you take this, if you would. Just put it to the... And we'll begin as Jesus did on the night in which he was betrayed. The Bible says that he took bread and he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. So we'll do that. I'm going to ask Brother Deals, if he would, to lead us in a word of prayer.